0: Day begins. We can think today is Thursday, somewhere in the middle of the retreat. So many days have gone, so many days to come. We can think of ourselves in the, the middle of our life, or the end, or the beginning of our life. Our progress in spiritual practice. Sometimes we create unconscious limits, boundaries for ourselves just by the way we habitually frame things. Creating time, self, fixing who and what we are in time and space. I am in this place, I have come from there, I'm going somewhere else. Seemingly ordinary everyday, actualities, I am this person, it is Thursday. I did come from somewhere and. I'm going back there after the retreat but it's often these simple ordinary everyday unquestionable realities actualities it's that very unconscious belief investment of solidity and reality in those elements of experience that keeps the heart bound and fettered, limited. The Buddha said on several occasions, things like, you know, the wise one lets go of the past let's go of ideas of the future, does not create delusions about the self here in the present moment. So there's always the encouragement to be ready to begin again, to start completely afresh to leave the past utterly behind, to allow the future to be the unknown, and to open the heart to this. The Pali for past, future, and present point to this in their meanings. the word for the past means the utterly gone, the future is the not yet arisen, and even the present, which we, we tend to exalt in the way we speak about things, even the present it can be translated as the currently arisen affliction. Because in a way the Dhamma it's more accurately more accurate to speak of the Dhamma of the ultimate reality of things as timeless rather than just being this this moment. We even let go of the present. Not creating time in any way, shape, or form, not investing that with solidity. So, we use the, the meditation, the cultivation of wisdom, insight, to help notice the many ways in which we create these unconscious. Barriers, burdens, veils. To notice how the feelings of self, time, place become invested with solidity that they do not intrinsically possess. even goodness and badness, rightness and wrongness. When we come to the... to really examine the very fabric of experience, we see that in many respects, these also are just ascriptions. We call something good because if it's followed or perceived, then pleasant experiences ensue. We call something bad because when it's experienced or when it's pursued, then pain follows. But Ajahn Chah would always point to the fact of having let go of the unwholesome and cultivated the wholesome, that we need to let go of the wholesome as well. The Buddha said the Dhamma is like a raft, you're on the the confused unawakened heart is like as if we're living on one shore of a of a great river which is dangerous, threatening, full of all kinds of uh, bandits, wild creatures, all sorts of threat. So the Dhamma is like a raft that we build gathering together sticks and wood and rope and grass. We build ourselves a raft and then we paddle across the great great river to the further shore where there is safety, security, stability. He said, and if you've arrived at the further shore, would it be a wise thing to then consider, oh, this raft has served me so well, I was on that dangerous, painful, difficult place originally and then with the help of this raft, I managed to paddle across the the great river. So I should carry this raft on my back, take it with me wherever I go because it's, it's served me so well. Should they do that? Or should you rather just leave the raft on the shore and go about your business. This is one of the most often quoted Dhamma teachings, the parable of the raft, simile of the raft. But yet how easy it is for us to be... um, delighting in that teaching, say, oh, wonderful sutta, really inspiring, extraordinarily wise, very helpful. And then carry that very, you know, that very thing around. And make it part of the burden. So the Buddha's not saying that the raft is useless, at all. Yes, it has a purpose. But that doesn't give it intrinsic worth. It's useful for a particular job. If we don't need to do that job, we don't need the raft. If you're an IMS and you're here you are and you walk around and you say, Ashramra, can you give me the directions to IMS? well, you're here already. Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. here. Well, can you direct me to IMS? Well, you're, you're here already. She doesn't get it either. Ajahn Poonadamo, please. These other two are hopeless. I'm trying to get to, to IMS and it's an important place, peaceful place, wise people practicing meditation. I want to spend my time with them. Please, why you? please, give me directions to IMS. Friend, you're already here. If we're already at the, the place where we're trying to get to, we don't need to, to follow directions. one friend of ours was on a retreat one time and uh, uh, after a few days her mind became extraordinarily still and clear peaceful and uh, naturally very concentrated her mindfulness was just unwavering and 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 so when she sat down to meditate, she didn't feel any particular need to take a concentration object because her mind was just completely uh, unwavering, her attention was fully with uh, the present, and she was just able to um, be very awake and and, uh, open and alert to uh, what she was experiencing. And she asked the teacher on that particular retreat about it. The teacher said, Oh, no, 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 stop that. You go back to the breath. Uh, no, that's, uh, that, that's not the practice. What we're doing is mindfulness of breathing. So she said, Okay. And she obediently did that. But it was rather, she said, it was rather like. Was well, confusing because she uh, could happily stay with the breath, but the point of, of sticking with it seemed to have already been achieved. So, uh, and why why didn't the uh, the teacher pick up on that? But this is how we are sometimes, isn't it? We we get so fixed on the method and trying to do the right thing, obedient to the form that we, we miss what the whole thing was for in the first place we've got across to, to the other shore we don't need to carry the raft around become a raft worshipper and you know, the Buddha outlined this you know, really clearly right at the, in the very earliest times this is what we tend to do whether it's a meditation practice or a particular lineage of teachings or our opinions or our our social group the judgments we make about our body or our, our mind our family our country we can take the meditation practice cultivate insight with these very subtle qualities, these subtle beliefs and attachments not because they're useless or they don't belong the Buddha never said you don't need a raft this shore is just as good as the other one he says yeah we need a raft concentration exercises are useful precepts are useful the effort to develop wisdom is useful but it, are we taking that as an end in itself? And What happens when we, we put the raft down once we've arrived at the other shore, once we realize, oh, this is IMS? Ah. as a completely natural and automatic relief. We don't need to be doing anything because we're there, we are it. It's, it's present. This doesn't mean uh, abandoning all of our practices and our routines and schedules and precepts, but it's just that quality of loosening our grip, learning to recognize the ephemeral, transparent nature of experience, of the conventions that we use, even while we're using them, so this is a great skill. And you know, the Buddha pointed to this in uh, in many ways. How even with developing concentration, the mind in in a state of absorption one can reflect you know, this too is conditioned dependent this is brought into, into being on the supportive qualities therefore it's not worthy of attachment to and in that recognition of seeing that it's, it's coarse, it's gross dependently arisen then the heart inclines towards the deathless as a recognition of the deathless element the unborn the unconditioned Ajahn Chah was a a great master in this whole manner of being and one of the things that impressed me so fully was that he was an extremely serious, strict monk, a fierce disciplinarian, and very demanding as a meditation teacher. The famous war stories of meditation periods of you know, many hours long. You'd never, you'd never know how long the sittings were. Half an hour. 50 minutes hour and a half four hours and if it was getting arduous and one famous evening where one of the novices switched on his flashlight flicked his flashlight on to look at the clock and this communal groan it was hour three and a half at that time communal groan went through the whole assembly so he could be a fierce taskmaster and very exacting with the discipline yet simultaneously be aware that the whole thing is just smoke and mirrors it's just a convention it's just a human agreement we call this right, we call that wrong we call this beautiful, we call that ugly things have value because we we make an agreement So we we call these pieces of paper money money and then these pieces of paper with these ink marks on we say they're worth one these other ink marks we say they're worth 20 these other ink marks we say they're worth a thousand then we all agree that these ink marks don't count anymore and those ones are not worth anything and then we use them to line the bottom of the birdcage but last year they were enough to buy a house with We'd say (coughs) if we all made an agreement that chicken shit was the currency, we'd all be scrambling to see how much chicken shit we could collect. Mm -hmm. And people would be fighting and killing each other over chicken shit. (laughs) Why is chicken shit any more ridiculous than bits of paper? A little flicking on of and off of binary digits in a, in a computer program that's not located anywhere in physical space. That's where all your money is. It's just ones and zeros, not even existing on plastic, just off in cyberspace. No location in the 3D world. All your wealth. Eek. <laughs> Suddenly we feel insecure. <laughs> there might have been a stock market crash since the time the retreat began. I haven't got psychic powers. So. Ajahn Poonadhamma was telling me yesterday when we were talking about how impoverished we were as laymen. He said, actually, I once had quite a lot of money. had a, a good job and an inheritance. And then one morning, woke up, turned on the radio and it said, biggest stock market crash since 1929. So he said, I groaned, turned off the radio and rolled over. That was his his bundle gone. It's an agreement. It's determined into existence. So when we pursue the, the practice, the meditation, following the routine, giving our hearts sincerely, deeply, to the work we're doing here, then to really bring it to fruition, to enable it to to blossom, to bear the the greatest fruit that it can, then we need to have that element of of relinquishment, vosanga, abandonment, a loosening of the grip even though we might be moving at speed, we just re- kind of relax into it, even though we might be practicing concentration. We let go of the me doing somethingness and just let the mind be concentrated. We establish clear and steady mindfulness, but let go of the idea, the attitude of, me practicing mindfulness have you noticed that the most peaceful moment of the meditation is when the bell goes and that's not just because of the, the bliss of release for your legs at least I find the peace is suddenly me the meditator is switched off. Ah. All the conditions for clarity, stability, they're all there. All of that which we've been cultivating during the sitting, they're still there. But me doing something just got switched off. So it's just one tiny little notch back from the the norm, the habitual pressure of becoming that the heart generates it's stopping the becoming Bhavani nirodha the cessation of becoming That's why Ajahn Poonadhamma said at the beginning of the retreat, the ultimate practice is doing absolutely nothing. That really takes some skill. (laughs) Because while on the inside there's nobody doing anything, on the outside it looks like we're being a very committed, mindful Attentive yogi but unless there's that recognition that on the on the inside subjectively that there's really no person doing anything here, then it'll always be fettered the heart is, is tied down, fettered burdened by that, the chains of self and time, location, trying to get, get something, get away from something, become something, get rid of something, achieve something, keep something, as we develop the, the practice through these, these days a lot of it is to, to do with just noticing those subtle qualities of, of becoming the mind investing solidity in the feeling of me and it here and there and once we get to know that Just getting to know that that flavor, that aroma, the texture of that gripping. And just let yourself feel that you know become consciously. We stay with it for a moment. We feel the real discomfort, the agitation. In that attitude, we feel its tension. We, uh, like suddenly noticing there's a bad smell in the place, need to open some windows. Suddenly notice that our knuckles are white, our belly is tight. When we notice it, we don't have to do a lot. Just the recognition of that tension, that quality coming into awareness, then intuitively, instinctively, something in us is What this isn't right, this isn't the, this is not a state of balance, this is there's some clinging here. And if we let it then sustaining that awareness that brings about the change on its own the grip loosens on its own you don't have to do it it's the effect of awareness itself that guides the change And then, when that change has come about, when we've loosened that grip, we've recognized that feeling of meanness ness minus in in the practice, me practicing insight, when we let go of that, when there is that abandonment, just to allow the heart to fully, consciously know that in that moment of non-clinging, (coughs) non-grasping. In that moment, there's no person there there's no past no future and really no present there's nothing no thing coming into being no thing that exists that's that's ending in the heart free from clinging there's simply the Awareness of the Dhamma, Sanditiko, Akaliko, Ehipasiko, Upanaiko, so on. Apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, attractive, leading inwards, onwards, to be realized by each of us for ourselves. So it's a mysterious thing. We meditate in order to not meditate. We practice in a way order to in order to not practice, to just enjoy the performance, to be able to experience that quality of the heart when the music is played we don't even listen to the music to hear the notes really we love music because of the place the music takes us to that's why we love it it's not actually even the sounds that we like it's the quality of of the heart that is evinced when we really listen That's why we practice. We don't practice in order to practice. We practice in order to arrive at liberation, peacefulness, pativeda. Last night, Ajahn Punnadhammo was referring to wise reflection, yoni so manasikara. We can use simple reflections to help support this process. So when we feel that quality of doing this, getting some awareness, desiring to become, desiring to get rid of. We can use simple reflections like, where is there to go and who is there to get there? Who is afraid? What's there to be afraid of? Who is meditating? What is it that's aware of this? And in those questions, we're not looking for a verbal answer. We simply pose the question in order to puncture the presumptions that are habitually made about the doer, about the activity. So it's that release that that puncturing brings that is the point. Or we can use reflections that are simple statements that highlight the attitude that we have. I am meditating I am going somewhere or even just I am I am and what we find is that when we use these kind of reflections statements, questions if they're posed not in a in the midst of the blur of papancha, conceptual proliferation and kind of mental salad. If they're posed in the, the clarity of the mind at rest, immediately the heart knows, that's weird. In fact you get as far as I and then Huh? Well what what what's an I? What does that refer to? The heart knows that this is really weird to think that you're a person. It's downright peculiar. And the Buddha was a genius insofar as he's, he, he recognized the point is not trying to define some sort of met, metaphysical super-self that we really, really, really are. kind of cosmic, timeless, unborn, unconditioned, deathless me. Because he knew that we just grab the idea and all of the epithets and we write them up on the wall in beautiful calligraphy and then we worship them. Meanwhile, it's me busy doing the worshipping. He said, don't worry about defining what you are. Just learn to recognize and let go of what you're not. Reality takes care of itself. The Dhamma looks after itself. When the heart lets go of what, what it's not, when the identification is is punctured. The reality is revealed. And that doesn't need to be defined. It can't be defined in concept or word, but it can be known directly. So, we can use these kind of reflections to help support this development of insight and wisdom, helping to guide the heart to this recognition of peacefulness, this fundamental quality of the unconditioned, the unborn, the deathless Dhamma, which is ever present, always accessible but which is missed because of the preoccupations that we, we so easily believe in, pursue, painfully carry around with us.